Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and I wanted to talk to you today about Star Trek. Namely, Star Trek and the, what I've, what I've decided to title this episode, the Mandate for Content. Okay, so this, this is a topic that's going to kind of hurt to talk about, and I'm not going to mince my words too much about it. I love Star Trek. I grew up watching reruns of the original series. I remember watching the premiere of The Next Generation and falling in love with that show. And Star Trek is what got me into the conventions. And it's been a major part of my life for, well, most of my life. My house is full of Star Trek things, and one of my most prized possessions is the wonderful painting that I have of Kirk and Spock writing Puff the Magic Dragon, which I keep over my desk. But there's a problem with Star Trek, and in a lot of ways, it begins with the death of Gene Roddenberry. And I, I don't want to go through all of the rigmarole of what followed there, but the main thing to understand is that CBS now has rights over Star Trek's intellectual property and can pretty much do with it whatever they want, even though that wasn't Gene Runberry's intentions. But we're not going to go through all that again. This has led to a lot of issues over the years with the property. Mainly because Star Trek has a particular vision at its heart. And you can see this through the original series and through the next generation and through the opening seasons of Deep Space Nine. And actually, I would say all the way through Deep Space Nine. The purpose and point of Star Trek was to show what we could become. Yeah, it was to tell adventure stories in space. I mean, the original pitch for Star Trek was Wagon Train in Space. But Gene felt that the show could be used to show our possibility, where we could grow and where we could be in the future if we really put our minds together. And he didn't do this in a saccharine sort of way. In his version of the future, there's a Third World War, which is actually, on his timeline, would still be raging right now. We would be at the tail end of the eugenics war. And it almost wiped out life on Earth, and everything went terrible for a very long time. But in face of utter destruction, we as humanity regrouped and after the advent of warp flight and the arrival of the Vulcans changed and developed and focused on the betterment of all people rather than the selfish intentions of a few. And that 
ethos, along with his mantra of infinite diversity and infinite combination, is something that suffuses the series that were created while he was alive. One of the main problems with Voyager and Enterprise, which came after it, is it lost that spirit. Yeah, it eventually tries to find it back. Voyager finally starts becoming a good series again once Janeway realizes that they have to rely on the principles that they retain from the Federation, and the show tries to write itself. And don't get me wrong, I'm not... When I say things that are harsh against Voyager, people think I don't like it. There, there has yet to be a Star Trek series that I didn't enjoy on some level. But you can really see with Voyager the franchise really starting to lose its way. And even more so when you get to Enterprise, which really, more than any other Star Trek series, feels like a generic science fiction series. It doesn't have many of the things that you think about when you're thinking about Star Trek. And that was intentional. See, Nemesis didn't do well in the theaters, and the Next Generation movies, for the most part, didn't perform well at all in the theaters. And they wanted to do something else, something new, something fresh. And Voyager was their first stab at that. And, well, we can tell different kinds of stories because we're going to be so far away from the Federation that we can, we're not going to be bogged down by the history of all the episodes that came before. Okay. Well, that didn't work out too well. And so when Enterprise came about, they decided to go back to a time that Star Trek lore really didn't cover. And that was the period between humans going into space and the creation of the Federation. Okay, well, that's an interesting premise. And there are quite a few characters and episodes from that series that I truly love. And the show does, from time to time, try to wrestle with ideas for what will, by its internal chronology, eventually become the prime directive. But it never really felt like a Star Trek show. It simply felt like a science fiction show that had some Star Trek trappings to it. This is the problem with a corporation like CBS owning a license like Star Trek. Star Trek is an ideologically based show, much like Star Wars. One of the reasons Star Wars has found success after George Lucas sold it is Kathleen Kennedy and many others that literally trained under George Lucas became the stewards of the series. Dave Filoni, for example, had worked with George Lucas on the Clone Wars very closely. So when he was tapped to do Star, um, Star Wars Rebels, he understood what made Star Wars Star Wars and was able to make a decent show. The same is true as he goes forward with um, Resistance. These are people that had trained under George, if you will, and so they kind of got what Star Wars was. There wasn't a discontinuity there. Lucasfilm continued to be Lucasfilm, even though Disney owned it. But the people that had worked for George Lucas continued to work at Lucasfilm, and 
they had a basic, at least, understanding of the property and how it operated. Star Trek has never worked like that. Star Trek, especially since the death of Gene Roddenberry, has had several creators, um, Berman being one name that keeps coming up, but Berman and Piler and the others, Braga, didn't truly have a firm understanding of what Star Trek was. They had worked with Gene for some time when they were doing The Next Generation, but they weren't steeped in the mythos. They weren't steeped in the concept. They hadn't worked with George for an extended period of time. I mean, Kathleen Kennedy, for whatever you want to say about her, she her relationship with George Lucas goes back to the Indiana Jones movies. And, and I think maybe before that. She's worked with them for quite some time. And so every project they would bring new people in and those new people were allowed to basically do whatever they wanted with the series so long as cbs approved it in other words if cbs felt that it would make money then it could happen this is one of the things that makes enterprise feel so strange one of the edicts that came down from the the voices on high was that the show needed to be sexy. And so no longer do we have the transporter because we're in olden times and transporters are scary and new. So we don't have biofilters. Well, going to alien worlds, you have a chance of picking up pathogens. So how are we going to deal with that? Well, we're going to have everybody stripped down into their underwear and rub salves on each other in strange blacklight rooms. And that's a path you can take and a path that they did take. Because they were required to make the show sexier. The same is true with them trying to broaden the demographics for the series and getting rid of the stuffy symphonic openings that the original series had all the way up through Voyager. And so they picked up a song that is it's okay, and every season modified it slightly because... No one ever really liked it. it. It didn't work. The show didn't work. On so many levels. And now we come to Discovery. And, and yes, I'm skipping over the J.J. Abrams movies because th those were clearly his audition to do a Star Wars film. I mean, just, yeah. The, the third one, I think, is a good movie in its own right, but... Yeah. Uh, Abrams. Okay, pushing that away. Star Trek Discovery is, at its heart, a halfway decent series. There are many things to like about it. There are some things that you know that I grumble and grumble and grumble about, including the fact that it falls very quickly into the trope of, oh, we have too many gay people, kill the black one. Yeah, kill the brown one. Because as long as the white queers is all around, we still have one. Yeah, I, I've done entire episodes about this in the past, so I'm not going to, you know, spend too much time on that. And now it turns out that it looks like, they are at least alleged and currently in court, that part of the 
basic concept for the series was stolen from an indie game called Tardigrades. And I, I don't want to spend too much time going into what I feel are or are not the merits of the lawsuit. I, I, I find it odd that in a game that's been in development since 2014 that had a blonde botanist working with a giant blue tardigrade in a gay relationship with a brown man with a beard that looks a lot like what they had i'm not going to go into it. it it does look like there may be some merit to the case the case is ongoing we'll see where the case goes if true that is almost beyond upsetting there are so many things that you could do with star trek there are so many things that you could do with this type of science fiction franchise the idea that they possibly stole the weird MacGuffin thing that honestly is unnecessary in the series that that's probably the thing that upsets me most about the even the hint of a possibility that they ripped off this poor this independent game design developer that the tardigrade doesn't matter. The, the tardigrade is, is so tangential to the plot of the series that if they did steal it, and I am not going to say that it doesn't look like they did, I, oh, that, that, that boils, brings up a lot of issues. And it's possible that the original plot of the show was much more akin to what was supposed to happen in the tardigrade game. We do know that when CBS saw the early shots of the, of discovery, they greenlit and let them do a much bigger first season, especially than we're going to be getting in the second season. And they shot a second pilot for the show that extended the story out. And it makes me feel like it, it does make you wonder if this, the, the story that is, at least in my mind, having watched the first season, the actual story in Discovery Season 1 was built because they realized there may be some legal issues with them ripping off an independent game developer. Because the story that they ended up making... The, the, yeah, the, the tardigrade thing is kind of consequential, maybe, to the plot of it. They, there's so many ways that they could have accessed the mycelium network and accomplished the thing that they wanted to do with the series. And I'm speaking cryptically because I didn't give a spoiler warning for anybody who doesn't know exactly how the, the, the plot of the first season. But... Uh, if they stole that and then didn't really use it, that that's even more troubling. I have actually a lot more to say about this. I didn't realize my setup would take this long. We, we will continue this discussion after the break. And we're back. Okay, so we've gotten up to Discovery and then possibly stealing some parts of what would become almost... Okay, I can see how you would say they are my major 
plot points for the series, though the actual events with the Tardigrade are in and out so quickly, and they have very little bearing on the actual thrust of the story because it it it's the the tardigrade is the macguffin that lets them tell the story that they want to tell and then there's the whole really badly done plot with the klingons but we won't even talk about that but this is the problem with the new discovery show is it's built around a series of macguffins some that may have been stolen and others that didn't work and some that worked really well. Like the overall, by the end of discovery, I liked the series. I'm curious to see where it goes. I like the characters. There are quite a few that I'm really wanting to see how the story continues. And so I am looking forward to season two with many reservations it feels to me like they're doing it again, but even more so. See, one of the big complaints that a lot of people had was that the show didn't feel like Star Trek. And I will agree with those, but having watched all the way to the end, and this is the problem, you have to watch all the way to the end. There's a reason it doesn't feel like a Star Trek series, but you have to get to, I think it's like the third from the last episode to find out what that reason is. And that that takes way too long to get to. But I think the payoff for that works. Payoff for some of their other surprises didn't work so much. But the bad surprise distract me, distracted me from the good one. And Jessica Isaacs did a really good job playing the captain of the Discovery. But we look at what they're planning with season two and they're going, oh, that wasn't Star Trek enough for you. Well, we're actually going to give number one from the cage an actual name and backstory. And we're going to cast a care, an actress to play her. And she's going to have a role on the new show. And we're bringing Christopher Pike in. And we can all expect that now, now that Christopher Pike is the captain of the discovery, that the captaincy of the discovery is kind of like being the defense against the dark arts teacher at Hogwarts. Someone cursed that chair and every season the captain's going to die or get maimed and have to go away or get imprisoned or something because, you know, Jason Isaacs isn't coming back for reasons that I'm not going to get into for spoiler purposes. And, well, we all know what eventually happens with Christopher Pike because of the Menagerie episode that he ends up getting injured and in the wheelchair and on life support. And that Spock feels that he owes him his life. And, of course, that's what this season's going to be about, is why Spock feels like he owes so much to Christopher Pike that he would risk his life and his career to break federation law to take him to a place where he can live out his life in relative ease without suffering okay but it feels like they're doing this again that they have constructed an event that they think they will be able to get people hyped off of and they're constructing a season around it with whatever they called it, the Red Angel or what have you. And 
Of course, we're going to get young bearded Spock, who's apparently not a bad guy, even though he has a beard. And that's okay. Whatever. I'm fine with that. I'm not going to judge the actor or his appearance until I find out more about him. You know, I need to actually see the episodes. But this is the problem. They're not trying to do good episodes. They're not trying to do a good series. And I felt that from season one. Season one had some episodes that were really good. The, the Harry Mudd episodes of the original, of the first season are so good that people should have been talking about them. Rain Wilson breathes new life into the character of Mudd in a way that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I hope they find ways to bring him back. I, I really do. I enjoyed him immensely. But for the most part, each episode is a chapter in the continuing story that, with the exception of the Battle of the Binary Stars, the first two episodes, the original pilot, the, well, not the original pilot, the second pilot that gets aired first and becomes the new first episode, timey-wimey bits, those are good episodes. Then we get into this strange series of events that of course we're supposed to mystery box our way through until unlike a jj abrams project the box is opened and we go oh wow that's what this whole thing was about all along and then we get to the end and now we get to do it all over again that's how a lot of modern streaming shows work and i think it's a bad model see if you want to do a good show, the individual episodes need to have a certain amount of care and concern put into them that I don't feel like CBS cares. See, what CBS wants you to do is pay for the streaming service so you watch Star Trek Discovery and they make money off of the streaming service. That's why they're greenlighting all these other Star Trek shows. Because reasons. They, they need the money. And nothing, no other property that CBS owns has the potential of bringing people in. That's why they're bringing Patrick Stewart back to reprise the role of Jean-Luc Picard. In I don't know if they've officially announced it yet or not. But will inevitably be the Starfleet Academy series that they've been wanting to do forever. He's going to either be a professor, or he's going to be the headmaster, or he's just going to go back and take over from his mentor and work with the plants. I don't know. But yeah, that, that's why they're doing that. And of course, I think they have like one or two other Star Trek shows they're talking about doing, because you can never have enough of a franchise happening simultaneously they think and it's possible if they actually put the power into these if they got them a decent writing staff because the actors are good I, the, the one thing i cannot fault star trek discovery on is the actors the actors that they picked are really good and they do a great job with the material that they're given it's just it's meant to be streamed unfortunately for them at least the first season really feels intended to be binged 
Like, I wouldn't have as many problems with the series as I do if I didn't have to wait a week between episodes. And I think the show would have gotten a much better reception if people didn't have to wait for a week between episodes. Because there isn't a lot that happens in the individual episodes. It's the accumulation of them that gets you to the point where the story makes sense. So if you're doing this like Netflix, I think the show would have gotten a much better reception because all of the episodes would have been there and we could have just rushed on through and gotten to the big surprise and went, oh, wow, that's pretty nifty and not had a week or two to or a winter break (laughs) to fume over some of the stupid decisions that were made in the series. And with everything going to these silos, they're really going to have to start making decisions because I understand that CBS understands that they do weekly shows because that's the way they've always operated. But if you're going to do weekly shows, then you have to put some kind of quality control in to ensure that each episode is worth it. Because if I, as a paying customer, because now I have to pay for you monthly to watch the show, get to the end of an episode, and I don't really care about what's happening, I am much more likely to unsubscribe. That's just how a streaming service works. You know, why is DC Universe still getting my money? It's not because I like Titans. Titans was okay, but not terrible. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it really wasn't good. And I haven't taken the time to watch the new Young Justice yet, but they put up a whole bunch of Green Lantern Corps comics. And I love the Green Lantern Corps, and I've only read some of these. So I get to dip my toe in and read a bunch of Green Lantern comics. And yay, Green Lantern comics! So there's something there to hold my attention and keep them getting my money. It's annoying, (laughs) but it's there. And that's the thing that if CBS thinks Star Trek is going to be their cash cow, number one, it should have gotten its own app. I'm I'm just going to say that right off the bat. It should have gotten its own app with all of the Star Trek in it. I mean, yeah, it's got all the Star Trek in it. But it should have had all the Star Trek in it. And you should have given us more content and more content and more content and built it out. Because you're not Disney. And I don't care about CSI, this, that, or the other, or whatever other shows that you have. That weird procedural cop show that you did after Star Trek Discovery that you thought that I would somehow watch. Because I don't know. It was unrelated and I didn't care and I unsubscribed. But you can't build a franchise off of, well, you finally got to the end of the series after a month or two or three. Wasn't that payoff worth it? You have to enjoy the journey. If if you were going to dole these episodes out one at a time every week, this again, I think was a problem with DC Universe. I probably wouldn't have had as many problems with Titans if I could have just watched it. 
And that's actually what we ended up doing towards the end. We just waited for the last couple episodes to come out and we just watched them all. And that made it flow a bit better. Still didn't make it a great show, but at least we didn't get to the end of an episode and go, what in the world are you thinking? I mean, we did say that, but the next episode was starting and we could go, oh, okay, I can kind of see where you were going with that maybe, except for the weird Hawk and Dove thing, but I'm not going to get distracted. No, I really could. So, in closing, CBS, I know you're not listening because you never listen to the fans. You never listen to the people that actually give you money and make your properties successful. But should, by some miracle or happenstance, you find yourself listening to this podcast, you have to make the shows entertaining. Individually. Each episode has to be good. Make them character-centric And don't expect a big payoff 15 episodes later to make us feel justified in paying for a couple months of your service. Anywho, I'm really getting nervous about this. I, I really am, especially with the Tardigrades lawsuit. I'm kind of wondering, did they rip somebody off for the next season? Like... Don't do this to me, CBS. Just have some more respect for your fans, for your writers, and for the people that you're cribbing ideas from. For goodness sakes, he's an independent developer. There's a good chance you could have just written him a check and he would have been okay with you using his idea. I don't know. And we'll never know because allegedly you just ripped him off. This is the world we live in now. Anywho, I hope you enjoyed this show. This is something we're going to need to be talking about and thinking about a lot more in days ahead as everything breaks up into its silos. I'm really nervous as to what the Disney app, Disney Plus, is going to look like when it finally launches. And I'm also really concerned about who's going to make that take that plunge next because I can tell you there are very few things that I'd be willing to pay a monthly subscription fee for. If you enjoyed this episode and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this podcast or this episode, please do that. That helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share this podcast with more people. If you got a buck you can throw my way, either click support in the app, or if that button isn't in the app that you're listening to me on, in the show notes there's a link that says support on Anchor. That money really does help me to keep doing everything that I'm doing. Um... If you want to get in touch with me, you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. Definitely, if you can, download the Anchor app at anchor.fm and send me a voicemail, a voice message. It can be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like me to discuss on the show. We've gotten so many new people listening. I I would love to know what you all would like to hear me talk about, because... As you can see, there's a lot on my mind that I want to talk about, but I want to make sure that you all enjoy it too, and that's the easiest way to do that. Keep it clean, and I will probably use it on the show. Anywho, thank you for listening, and until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye.